This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. Welcome to The Takeout. Welcome to 2022. And oh, by the way, welcome back to the Major Garrett Dining Room for those of you watching on CBSN. As everyone knows, this is January 6th week in America. One year to reflect on that riotous mob that stormed the U.S. Capitol on that date a year ago. We're going to discuss the underlying issues, what happened in election 2020, more importantly, what did not happen in election 2020. We're going to focus on Georgia and a little bit on Pennsylvania. Our guest, Brad Raffensberger, the Republican Secretary of State, his book, Integrity Counts, distributed by a division of Viacom CBS here, Brad Raffensperger. Mr. Secretary, it's great to be with you. Thanks. Well, thank you. I want to ask you a big kind of philosophical question. Is this country right now playing with some very dangerous fire when it comes to people's belief in our elections? I believe it is. In fact, that's why I wrote Integrity Counts. And in Georgia, we've really had front row seats on that. Because when Stacey Abrams lost, you know, by nearly 55,000 votes, she said it were it not for voter suppression. But she still never conceded. And back mid-October, she was up in Virginia campaigning for McAuliffe. And she said, just because you win doesn't mean you've won. It's been three years. And then we rolled out forward in 2020. Then people started talking about it was voter fraud. But these stolen election claims, what they do is they undermine voters' confidence in the election process. And that's why we are out there talking to people and letting them understand that your counties run the elections, but it's really done at the precinct level. And those precinct uh, workers that you meet, they're the people that you see at the grocery store. You see them at Rotary, Kiwanis, in your church groups, or out at the ball field when your kids are playing Little League. Those are your neighbors. And those are the people that are walking that line of integrity to do their job with integrity. Not looking left or right, but just doing their job. And when you understand that, that the system is redundant, it's decentralized, and that people are just doing their jobs, that's the best thing about America, is you've got great, honest Americans doing these jobs. Picking up on that point you just made, if people tell themselves, well, this election was stolen, what they have to admit to themselves is the thieves were their own neighbors. In effect, yes. That's not America. No, no. In fact, you know, my wife, Tricia, she's a photographer, so we get to travel across the entire country, you know. I kind of carry her cameras and stuff like that. So we've been to Maine, we've been to Glacier, we've been to even the Oregon coast, 
Uh, we've been to New Mexico, all over. And we go to these little towns, you go to the coffee shops. They're the same as folks in Georgia. They just have different accents. But they're good people. And that's what America is. We're good people, honest people. We need to understand that. So now we really have to take a look at what happened in 2020. And then we need to face the brutal truth. In Georgia, President Trump came up short. And in your book, you suggest he came up short because he raised questions about a system of voting that historically had worked well for Republicans in this state. Right. Governor Sonny Perdue passed no excuse absentee voting in 2005. It was supported by our current you know, Re Republican chairman of our state party when he was a state senator and also the current speaker of the House. They all supported that. But for years, Republicans got more votes with absentee voting. It was only in Governor Kemp's race in 2018 that Stacey Abrams cracked the code and actually got more votes, about 50,000 more votes, through the absentee ballot process. But then when you roll that forward in 2020, all of a sudden COVID hits us about middle of March. That just upset every election worker in America with well, how are you going to run an election with COVID? Well, obviously, more voters would want to vote absentee. And our system, our laws were already in place to allow that. But President Trump, what he did is he really discouraged people to vote absentee. First of all, he called our excuse, uh, our, our no excuse absentee voting, mail-in voting, what requires you to request an absentee ballot. Once you request it, they do signature match. Then once they send you the ballot, you sign your envelope, they then check your signature again. That's not, quote, mail-in voting. That's really what they do in California, Oregon, Washington State, and those states do have their process. That's their decision that they did. But when you start creating doubts in the voters' mind, then what do they do? They step out, they step back. And I think at the end of the day, it really hurt you know, his chances, but it hurt the Republican Party. And as a conservative, that really bothers me because you know, I wear the brand, I vote the brand. Mm -hmm. And so the results in Georgia, at least in part, maybe more than in part, reflect this message from President Trump that suppressed his own vote. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, things didn't turn out you know, strong in Georgia. Then the other issue we had is we had 28,000 Georgians skip the presidential ballot, and yet they voted down ballot on all their races. And in the Republican congressional areas, the Republican congressmen actually got 33,000 more votes than President Trump. And that's actually the story. What does that tell you? People skip the top of the ticket. Because? Well, they obviously weren't enamored with the three candidates, you know, and... Uh, one of them being President Trump. And one of them being Joe Biden, mm -hmm. and the other one being the Libertarian, but they skipped it. And normally what happens, I've been down ballot every, <laughs> every time, and so when I was a state rep, when I was on city council, we understood, oh, that, this is the 12% turnout race because you're running for city council. Oh, you know, you're a state rep. You never got as many votes as, you know, your governor or other higher upper, upper ballot races. It was just uh, a situation that doesn't happen, an anomaly. It's just really interesting what happened. And that's a funny word, or a word that's not funny, but gets thrown around in funny ways and has ever since the election of 2020, anomalies. And yet the people who throw around that word quite often are the beneficiaries of that down-ballot anomaly. Not only in this state, but other states. They challenged an election in which they were re-elected or elected the first time not questioning that process, only the process for one particular candidate in one particular scenario, same ballot, same process, same voting mechanism. I think those are almost the exact words I had in my book. So it's interesting because one of the people running against me for my reelection, Jody Heiss, 
Exactly. We used those machines that give him actually more votes than President Trump in his district, and yet he was questioning it and did not certify the race. And yet, meanwhile, we sent them a 10-page letter to Congress with his name at the top of the letter. He's had it now for 11 months. Do you know that not any of the congressmen, there's 435 of them, not a single one of them has ever said, Brad, you are wrong on any single issue. But I corrected my letter because back in January I said there's two dead people. We found two more. There's four. I wanted to make sure that the committee understood that we did find four. But other than that, that, rec that record that I gave you, the Congress, is exactly what I could then put on my hand on the Bible and say, this is what happened. There weren't 10,000 dead people. There were four. There weren't any underage voters. There were zero. There weren't thousands of felons. There was less than 74. We checked out every single allegation that there, was made. And there was not, this is another one that's been written about, industrial scale vote flipping. Oh, well, when you do a 100% hand recount, that proves conclusively there can be no arguing about it that you didn't have, the machines did not flip the votes. So that's why when we did the recount, that we are required to do a risk limit audit for one statewide race that we, I made sure was inserted in House Bill 316 back in 2019. When we put that into, into law, we had to pick a, a race. We picked the governor's, uh, the, the president's race because it was obviously the most significant. And we then also upped the you know, criteria. We did a hand recount instead of scanning them again. And when you did a hand recount, that proved that the machines did not flip the votes. It also, those results were remarkably close to what we got with the original tabulation. And then when the race was certified, because it was within half percent, President Trump could then ask for a recount. We then counted it again, and we scanned all five million ballots through the machines. And those results were remarkably close also. So those ballots, every single ballot, absentee, in-person, early or in-person on the election day, all of them have been counted three times. And all of them gave you the same result. And yet, this lie persists. Why? What gives it oxygen? How is it allowed? Or how do people allow themselves to still buy into it? Well, you have to understand, we are probably facing the biggest misinformation, disinformation, outright lying campaign we've ever had. Misinformation took one form on January 6th. It has taken a continuous form of threats on Brad Raffensperger, his life, and even to his wife. More on that in segment two of The Takeout, coming up. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this... All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah. You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. This is segment two again. Welcome back to the Major Garrett dining room. We are in a little bit of a COVID situation. The country is as well. So we're taking all the necessary precautions and we have... For you this week, an extensive conversation about election 2020 viewed from the prison of people who actually helped administer that election. And 
speak on their own behalf about how verifiable, accurate, and secure it was. But even with that evidence that anyone can see who's curious enough to find it, and it's not that hard to find, doubts and even worse about this election persist. And they have manifested themselves, not only in the January 6th attack on the Capitol, but on threats of violence to prominent elected election officials and those who are not as well known and not elected, but nevertheless carried out the election. Brad Raffensperger, the Republican, the Georgia Republican Secretary of State, talks about threats he has faced since election 2020. You've been the subject of harassment calls, death threats. Your wife has received threats. Mm -hmm. You had to buy a dog. You've had to have ramped up security. I mean, this has affected you personally. Yeah. What's that been like? You watch yourself. You watch your back. You watch the situations you're in. And uh, you start looking for people's tells. What is that? Oh, is there anything on the side of their hip? Things like that. Any fast movements. You know, you just can't trust people, uh, unfortunately. So you do watch yourself. And then you still see on our uh, Secretary of State uh, Facebook page, people are still, you know, talking about stuff that has been disproven. And it's like, how often do you have to tell people? But uh, that movie line is so, so powerful. You can't handle the truth because the truth is President Trump came up short. And the truth is that 28,000 Georgians skipped the presidential ballot. That's the fact. And I guess like, you, you should really ask these people that are filled with anger. How many doors did you knock on? How many people did you drive to the polls? You know, what did you do to, to help you know, drive turnout so that you get your message out? You know, I've run, uh, when you run city council, run for a state house race, there's a lot of door knocking. It's knocking on doors, asking for the vote. And that's how elections are won so, so many times, at the ground level. It's also how they're lost. Exactly. You did get a dog, though, for this particular situation, did you not? Yeah. Tell me about the dog. He's wonderful. Is it a guard dog? No. Okay. He, he, but he's uh, an awareness dog. <laughs> an awareness dog. He's got, he's got let good me, ears. Let me fill in the got, blank here. This, got, this awareness he, dog barks a lot. He's got good ears, and, uh, he, you know, and he's got a good sense of smell. And uh, he's very aware. So uh, a lot of our deer have been chased off our property now by, by Patch also. So it's one of those kind of things. But, but uh, do you sleep a little bit better having the dog around? Oh, I, I still, still sleep like a log. So I think that's probably why Trisha said you need to get a dog. <laughs> because you sleep too well. Yeah, I sleep too well. And you have a... a an obvious emotional distance from this because you've had to endure it for so long. But this shouldn't be, because you're not alone. I was just up in Bucks County in Pennsylvania yesterday. People who are not statewide elected as you are, not that uh, because you're a statewide elected official you're entitled to or should be deserving right. of particular abuse, but these are local officials who get harassing calls, mm -hmm. who are afraid to drive certain places, they look over their shoulder like you do. All they did was order lots of equipment, adapt to lots of different rules, carry out a really good election. They didn't ask for a parade, but what they'd like is to live in, in a world in peace without harassment. Yeah. And it's not funny. No. No, in fact, we have a situation in Georgia, uh, two poll, worker, poll workers, uh, mother, daughter, and they've just been harassed. They had no security. An article recently came out, and... You know, when Trisha read it, it, it just brought her to tears because she, she understood what they went through. 
but also they had nothing. They had no security. They're just poll workers. One of them was making $36,000 a year. Yeah. Uh, that is just really shameful behavior that anyone would attack them. You know, we, we, you know, we like to talk about what's un-American. You know, that's un-American behavior to, to threaten people. You know, we have honest and fair elections in Georgia. In fact, Georgia's just been recognized for number one for voter integrity. We have the appropriate balance of accessibility with security. And then we make sure that we walk the line of integrity up and down the line. That's not just important for me to do it, but also for your 159 county election directors and the poll workers. And these people have been harassed and they've lost virtually everything, fearing for their lives. And that is just shameful behavior. And we need poll worker protection for that. Do you fear as many election officials I talk to about those who used to do this work withdrawing from it and America losing capable people who are not only volunteers but skilled election officials, just they can't take it anymore, and that our elections get weaker or replaced by people who don't have the same orientation or set of values about this? Well, where it could actually end up also is end up having uh, armed you know, police at all poll lo- polling locations just so you have a, a quiet, safe, you know, secure location. But also we need to make sure you know, poll workers' identities aren't out there and doxed. And that's put out there along with their phone numbers and where they live. And people have just put that information out there. And as I said, it's shameful behavior. What's your biggest fear about where this is going? Play it out. The intensity grows on both sides. There's no reason to suggest it won't or can't. So it keeps building. It keeps building. What's our biggest, what's the biggest danger we're facing out there? I recognize we live in a polarized country. We probably have since somewhere in the 2000s that really just, you know, we, we ended up with more polarity. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with, uh, you know, income uh, dislocation and, you know, people just struggling and, th- and things that happen. And this grievance politics is just built up and bubbled up. But I think the solution is very simple and straightforward. It's looking at the person in the mirror and say, are you going to be a better person? Are you going to finally be the person that your parents brought you up to be, that your parents and grandparents and really our forefathers had, which is character, integrity, honesty, and then civil discourse and just basic kindness. And when I talk about kindness, I made sure I included a Ronald Reagan quote in my book so people don't think I thought it's getting soft and squishy. But you can be kind and be conservative. You can be principled and still have, you know, kind, that you understand that we are all fellow human beings. When we introduced our new voting machines down in Bainbridge, Georgia, it's a, you know, nice little town, you know, southwest corner. And all of a sudden, uh, we were talking about the rollout, the new equipment. There are all these people that were excited about it. And this person came down from Atlanta, and he started asking all these really argumentative-type questions. And I could see the election director, Carol Hurd, just kind of cringe, thinking, oh, no, you know. And what she was really was cringing about is, we don't treat people like that in our town. Well, he's not from your town, <laughs> so he's from the big city. And I say all that is those small-town values. 50, 100 years ago, they weren't just in small towns. They were everywhere. And it's really that we were more civil to each other. So I think we need to really manage ourselves. Peter Drucker, management guru, wrote a book called Managing Oneself. When you can manage yourself, things will be a whole lot better. So it really gets down to us, each of us, making that internal decision 
to understand, yes, we really care passionately about our causes, but we don't cross that line because it's a dangerous line. When you cross that Rubicon, you don't know what's going to happen. We're going to shift our focus ever so briefly from Georgia to another contested swing state in the 2020 election, Pennsylvania. You're going to meet now Bob Harvey. He's an elected county commissioner of Bucks County. He's a former history teacher. We talked to him about 2020 and the divisions in the country, and he said he has not seen anything of the kind of divisions and discord over this election since the Civil War. And then we asked Brad Raffensperger to respond to that sentiment. It does scare me, and it has now for over a year. Uh, really worried that we're uh, approaching a precipice that's going to be impossible to come back from. Um, you know, I think if you wanted to destroy a democracy, the first thing you do is turn members of that country against each other. And the second thing you do is to get people to start doubting uh, the uh, validity of the elections that they vote and that they you know, engage in. Um, you do those two things and a, and a democracy falls apart. Does that sound alarmist to you? I think that right now we're going through an awful lot of emotional and social stress and we have a lot of these economic cycles that are colliding together at the same time and when that happens it really is a rocky road but we do come out of that America always has and we're in that tough period of time right now and we're not through it yet and I think COVID was just a huge uppercut. Segment three of the takeout will at the front end focus on President Trump's call to Brad Raffensperger looking for a certain number of votes in Georgia. It's a phone call Raffensperger will never forget. More with the takeout in just one second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Great to have you with us. Welcome back to the Major Garrett Dining Room. This is an extended conversation about one of the biggest issues in our country, the fate of democracy, how much we believe in elections, and how those elections are conducted. The conversation is principally with Georgia Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. He has a new book out, Integrity Counts, distributed by a division of Viacom CBS. And I started by asking Secretary of State Raffensperger about this thing that seems to be happening, which is, do we accept ele election results if only our side wins? And if we don't, what does that mean? Again, Brad Raffensperger. Mr. Secretary, you know as well as I do, if both sides believe the only way an election is valid is if they win, that's an irreconcilable problem for democracy. Yeah. Well, that's why then you're going to end up uh, with people, uh, you're going to see more consternation. And that's why we try and shore up voter confidence. We try and cut out any avenues for voter fraud. We, we understand that. But also you have to make sure that we have accessibility. So we actually encouraged this past year with SB 202 an additional day of early voting. So we, now we have, you know, 17 days of early voting 
and any county that wants to can have two days of Sunday voting. We also you know, had some cutoffs for absentee voting. We also said, which we really got, you know, take, took a beating in the press about, no politicking with 150 foot. So they were saying, you don't want to give them water. Well, the problem is, is that folks misbehaved and they were wearing their campaign shirts coming in there, giving them a bottle of water, but said, hey, make sure you vote for, you know, you didn't even have to mention the person's name. You could tell who's, what side they are. But that got spun up. We want to make sure there's no politicking. Just, you know, come in, let people vote in peace, in quiet, and let them have a free will decision on who their choices are. Your book has a full transcript of your conversation with President Trump. One of the things that I hadn't read before jumped out at me, and it's a, not sure it's an exact quote, but this is the spirit of it. At one point near the end, the president said, you let us in there, we'll find the votes. Meaning, give us access to this evidence, to these votes, which is not permissible under state law, which you reminded the president over. You let us in there, we'll find the votes. That shocked me. Did it shock you? I was going to make sure that we followed the law and we followed the Constitution. And I wasn't going to be swayed, pushed, or deviating from that. Um, we need to make sure that every, vote's, every lawful vote counts. And we're not going to allow people to push us off of that and um, from either left or the right. And so I just really was wanted to be respectful in that phone conversation and let everyone know that we were following the law and those were the results. And you wrote in the book that you had scheduled the call. You knew it was coming, mm -hmm. but you didn't know what it was about. Or you knew in well, general what it was about. You didn't know the direction it would take or the many directions it would take. I, I knew what, I, I was expecting, uh, the president wasn't uh, pleased by the results. And so I knew that he was going to be asking about the results. And so we listened to him. Uh, he started off and after he had talked for about 20 minutes, I just then wanted to let him know right off the bat, uh, one is his facts were all wrong. And I tried to do that as respectfully as possible. But also, at that time, we, were, we had an ongoing, you know, active lawsuit with the Trump campaign, campaign. And I knew that anything I said could or would have possibly be used against me in a court of law, saying, oh, well, Brad said this. So I wanted him to understand, and on no uncertain terms, President Trump, you lost this race. Because here's what the facts are. And that's when, you know, he talked about 5,000 dead people. Well, no, I didn't correct him on that. It was actually 10,000, his people said. But no we only had less than 74. We already had ran down that rabbit trail and you know, had that information. No, there weren't any underage voters. No, we didn't have any non-registered voters. So we were on top of every single allegation that was levied against you know, the election process. And as you're listening to that conversation, and at times the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, would try to suggest that there was an understanding about things when there wasn't an understanding. Did you feel any implied or direct pressure? At, the, at near the end, I felt that uh, I thought we were going to leave it with if they wanted their lawyer to come in to talk to the lawyers that we had uh, representing the state, then they could look at that private information that would corroborate that there were there were zero underage voters. They didn't know that the birth dates, you know, day, month, year. They just knew the year. You can register to vote in Georgia at 17 and a half. 
but you can't, your vote won't count unless you turn 18 by election day. We knew that, they didn't, because we can't give you that private information. We have identity theft issues in America, and so we hold that very tight. So the PII is very private and confidential. But uh, there was no agreement or anything like that from that standpoint. And then they never did uh, you know, meet with our lawyers, and then they ended up just voluntarily you know, withdrawing their lawsuit. And the president more than once threw around this idea that there was some criminal threat or you might be engaged in some kind of crime. You were those who work on your behalf. Did that feel pressuring? I heard what he said. I heard what he said, and I recognized the positional power that the office of president has. That indirectly the FBI works for him. Indirectly the Justice Department works for him. I knew B.J. Pack, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District. I actually served in the State House with him, but you just don't know what he meant by that. So I listened. But I also knew that you can dig all you want, Mr. President. We have the facts, and I'm and I'm sorry you lost, Mr. President. I voted for you. I'm a Republican, but you just came up short. So it was what it was, and I don't know if he was misled. You know, and he believed it. I don't know what the situation was, but I just knew that he came up short. But by this time, he has a duty to know, and he still clings to this. Mm hmm. Could you ever find a way to support him again? Well, as Secretary of State, I don't endorse anyone. Mm -hmm. But you've, you've just volunteered that you voted for him. Yeah, and that was post election. Uh, but I don't endorse candidates, and I didn't endorse any candidates in uh, the 2020 race. And I'll continue that process as long as I'm Secretary of State. I think that's an appropriate role for me. Mm -hmm. Let me try this way. Is being the leader of the Republican Party at a national level, being the nominee in 2024, consistent with the position that the 2020 election was stolen in Georgia or anywhere else? I think... Uh, I say it best in my book that what I look for is character, integrity, honesty, civil discourse, and kindness. That would be my ideal candidate. And could that ideal candidate continue to say the 2020 election was stolen? I think at some point people have to face the brutal truth of what the election results were. What is the Trump and RNC record in court here since 2020? Uh, they lost every single court case they brought or, or actually voluntarily dismissed them. And withdrew, withdrew them themselves. Withdrew them themselves because they knew they didn't have any facts. 11 and 0, I believe, is the record. Yeah. And I was quite happy if we went to court, you know, it would have cost the state money, but we had the facts. And that's why I wrote the letter to Congress. Here's the facts. So they knew what the facts were. And yet they still voted not to certify the election. How does that make you feel? I swore an oath to the Constitution. And I will follow the Constitution. And I think more people need to think about the people that have died fighting for our country's freedom. Just recently, but 100 years ago, World War II, you pick your war, you pick your conflict. But we need to always honor their sacrifice. Our Constitution is the most beautiful document that has ever been created by mankind 
to think of how it was created and, and all that what we went through and these people that put this together. Was it perfect? No. Because they said they want to create a more perfect union and that's what we're in the process of doing. And sometimes it gets a little messy, sometimes a little ugly. But it gets back to having respectful civil discourse. January 6th wasn't just messy, though, was it? No. What did you think when you saw that happening? I couldn't believe I was, it was almost, um, it was it's a shock to the system. When we come back for segment four, they'll take out more of our conversation with Georgia Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger with a particular focus on the what happened on January 6th as we look back one year later. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. January 6th, 2021 was a deeply traumatic moment for this country. More traumatizing to some than others, but you can't ignore the historical importance of that date. It is a date that will go down for the remainder of American history as something we had never seen before, never contemplated before, never imagined before. So we continue our conversation about the implications, the underlying motives behind January 6th with Georgia Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. I think January 6th is when everyone realized this went too far, and now they're pulling it back and trying to access it. And that's what we need to do is have really a calm but also a very serious conversation about what exactly happened. We don't need to politicize it because that's not helpful, but we don't need to hide from the truth of what happened. And why? Because that was a serious situation. That was a breach of our capital by Americans, not by some foreign enemy, but by Americans because they were misled, they were deceived, they were given falsehoods about the results of the election. I won't speak about other states, but we went up and down. We investigate every single allegation in Georgia. No matter how we looked at it, President Trump came up short. The Atlantic had a very big piece recently saying that January 6th was just the beginning, that things are moving forward, and this idea that there was some great theft of an election is driving attitudes and politics and changes at the state level that will manifest themselves in the future proving that January 6th wasn't this moment of momentary messiness or insanity, but the beginning of something deeply destructive. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that the people that run campaigns, they really look at that from a national perspective. Uh, we went up, when I took office here in January of 2019, immediately I had nine lawsuits from Stacey Abrams and her liberal activist groups. And we were just, you know, fighting and pushing back on those. And we prevailed on most of those. There's only one uh, case that has just a few minor, you know, issues. So we did beat those back. But we went up and met with these conservative groups. We actually met with the RNC and said, look what's happening right here. 
And they said, well, we don't have money to fight this uh, uh, election, you know, these election issues. I bet you they do now. And what they Maybe also- you went up to Washington and talked to not only the RNC, but conservative groups and got, tried to get their attention about election integrity issues right. before the 2020 election. Oh, but, yeah, we opened in 2019. And they told like, you that we had no interest in no money. Right. Okay. Yeah. I put that in my book. Mm-hmm. Because, but I think they, they've got their attention now. But that's really a campaigning issue. As Secretary of State, my that's job I mean. is to run a process. But as a campaign, if they really look at what they did and how they did it, you know, were they prepared? Did they have an absentee ballot chase program? In other words, when you have COVID-19 and 25 to 50 percent of all your voters in your state, pick your state, doesn't matter, are going to vote absentee, do you have an absentee ballot chase program? Oh, no, we don't have that. Well, the Democrats did. And, and the, you know, my friends. That's a way to monitor turnout exactly. and constantly keep in oh, touch with people you know, to see if they've done it. Mary did, Bob. Did you? We noticed you got your absentee ballot that was sent from the county. Did you receive it? Yes. Right. You know, they, and they're texting away on all this. And so that was going on. That, you know, they, and Republicans weren't. And they, no, not at all. You know, they came to fight, you know, for the state of Georgia. And the Democrats did. The Democrats did. And Republicans said, well, we've won this thing since 2000. In fact, presidential races, we won it for going back into the 90s. Uh, since, you know, Bill Clinton. So they thought, easy peasy. Well, people had been investing hard, and they didn't understand the demographic changes. We've added a million people from all over the country that may not have the same voting pa- patterns as, you know, we typically have. Uh, have we been doing voter outreach? Now, that's really politicking, uh, you know, campaigning, and that's, when I put on my campaign hat, I'm, I'm trying to do that. But as Secretary of State, Our business is to make sure we have a fair and honest election. One of the consequences in Georgia of election 2020 is Republican anger over what Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, did. He's facing a Republican challenger in the upcoming primary, Congressman Jody Heiss. We asked Congressman Heiss many times to speak with us. He did not. Here's our conversation with Raffensperger. Are you the underdog against Jody Heiss? Oh, probably. But I always have been. But I've always won, too. How do you feel about this coming up, the primary? Well, see, I can stand on the truth. What's he going to stand on? He's a pastor, and he can't stand on the truth, and I'm not. But I've had three years of Bible study, and I've done a lot of, you know, you know reading the Bible, and I, I've been in Christian business men's group, and, you know, I've spent a lot of time with, you know, Christian prison ministry, really, you know, in the detention center, and also, you know, worked three years in my church with middle school boys, with a co-leader, who uh, now is uh, a pastor of a part of a church. But I say all that is, you know, people can't question my faith, but it's real faith because I live it. But when you're faced with that challenge, that moment of decision, will you stand for the truth? Will you stand on your character? Will you lean into your faith? Will you lean into what your parents brought into you? Will you lean into what America was founded on? And when we do that, we win. Meaning conservatives. Any person does. People are looking. This country is looking for people of solid substance, solid character. They're not looking for banana republic politicians. we got plenty of them. I'm sorry if I'm strong on that, but that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be a person that does what is right, protects pa- taxpayer dollars, and make sure that we always follow the Constitution. Do you feel ever that on this particular topic, you are howling into the wind? Well, like a voice in the wilderness, 
Yeah. Strategically, do you think the Republican Party could tear itself apart over this question about whether elections are valid or not? It could. You could be a case study well, in it. Well, we could because uh, I'm not a prophet, and I don't know what the future holds. Only the Lord, you know, can see before and past, you know, and He knows everything that's going to happen. But here, so right now, we don't know. But uh, but we'll here, continue. right now, in your race and the governor's race, it's being t pulled yeah. apart over this central fallacy. It's coming up in other elections that we visited upon in Arizona. It may be visited yeah. upon in Wisconsin. Can a national party, otherwise healthy, remain healthy if it cannot resolve for itself the central question of truth? Well, Lincoln said, a house divided itself cannot stand. And so we need unity. So we need a positive, unified vision that excites people. Well, but facts are facts. You don't even need vision for facts. Well, you need someone to really speak the truth, but then say, this is my plan. This is where we're going to go. And then we start going that way. And then he builds a, a bigger and bigger, or she builds a bigger and bigger tent. And that's what Reagan did. Margaret Thatcher did it. You know, so I don't know what our next leader, national leader, will look like. But it's going to be a grand experience, and I hope it's led by a Republican. And I like to be a, always a hopeful, positive person. Mr. Secretary, thanks so much. Thank you. That concludes our conversation with Republican Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those on the podcast platforms and watching on CBSN, stick around for the Takeout Outtake Especial. And also take a look at my January 2nd CBS Sunday morning piece on this entire issue, Election 2020, Threats to Election Officials, What Did and Didn't Happen. See you next week. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, the first of calendar year 2022. Welcome back to the Major Garrett Dining Room. This conversation is going to be with someone who is not a household name, maybe Brad Raffensperger of Georgia, the Republican Secretary of State. There is Tom Freitag is not. He is an elections official in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, not elected. He's just a civil servant doing what he needs to do to conduct a free, fair, and verifiable election. We met him in September of 2020 when he was getting ready for a crush of mail-in ballots in Bucks County. He did that well. He got the equipment, processed the votes, counted them accurately. And what did he get for that? Praise? No. Threats, persistent threats that have really worn him down and questioned or led him to question whether he can continue doing this work he loves so much. Tom Freitag, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. How do you feel everything went in 2020 compared to where we talked to you in September? Everyone here was a little, maybe I'll interpret this, I think it's a fair interpretation, a little nauseated about all the things that had to be done, all the work that was laid out ahead, all the uncertainties, variables. How did it all play out? I mean, we were all nervous going into it. Uh, it was all brand new laws, brand new technology we're using for the first time 
overall, I think it went really smoothly with what we were the hand we were dealt. We did what we were played and uh, were able to, I mean, pull off all of this. Uh, but I mean, there were a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of long days where I'm uh, working 10, 12 hour days, uh, seven days a week for months on end. So it was draining, but I mean, I think we accomplished a lot. It felt like a success story for you yes. and for the people who worked here. Yeah. I mean, and there are countless people below me that in my office or from other offices that came to help that worked just so many hours. So like long days and they're unsung heroes. I mean, of just the whole county trying to get all this done. And so, of course, you were celebrated after the election, correct? You were held up <laughs> as some kind of amazing local hero, right? That's what happened. Um, we did have some people thanking us. Uh, we did also receive a lot of angry calls, uh, uh, emails, threats, uh, just people that were dissatisfied with the outcome of the election and thought that there was some kind of fraud or something going on behind the scenes that was nefarious. Were they personal to you at times? At times, yeah. I mean, uh, directed towards me or just directed towards my staff in general. Um, what kind of things are we talking about? Uh, we received uh, one email that said that uh, we would all hang for treason. Uh, we had somebody that would call us uh, every other day for months on end, telling us that we were all going to go to jail, that uh, they know what we did uh, to do what was right, to, to come forward, let the uh, authorities know what happened. And we would let them know that, I mean, there's nothing to report. We Everything that was done here, we did everything legally, followed all the protocols, everything the Department of State. Um, so it was a little disconcerting. Um, you work this hard for a whole year uh, for this one day, make sure everything goes as smooth as possible. Uh, and then that's the, the thanks you get. Disconcerting seems like not quite all the emotional baggage you've had to deal with. It's very strange. It's got to be harder than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult. Um, I mean, you come to work every day, try to do the best job you can, always thinking of the voters, making sure that you're doing what you can for the county. Um, and no, it's upsetting. I mean, and a lot of the calls, like they might not even been from voters here, but across the state, across the country, uh, we had calls, people from Arizona calling us. So, um, it's just nationwide. Uh, did you ever imagine you'd find yourself in this position? Um, vilified the way you were, if, if not so intensely personally vilified by occupation? Never thought I'd be directly attacked for just doing my job. Has that ebbed at all, or is it still present? Uh, it's lessened. Um, it was really uh, mostly throughout uh, 2020, close to the election, and then the months following, uh, it's toned down a lot. But then as we got into the 2020 or 2021 election, um, I mean, it started to ramp up a little bit again. Uh, we would get calls uh, questioning what kind of voting machines we had uh, based on news things that were going on about different... Or uh, non-news things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, where we would have to talk, I mean, basically talk people off of a ledge, uh, just trying to explain the process, how everything works, the checks and balances, uh, to try and make them understand the best we could of how the system works, how everything goes, and uh, that there are things in place to make sure that somebody's not 
voting multiple times or things like that. Right. And does that work, that talking them off a ledge, or do you find that they just want to stay there? To an extent. Uh, there are some people that don't want to uh, hear anything. Uh, there are other people that might be genuinely just want to know the process. Uh, so you get uh, a little bit of both. Are you frustrated so much that you might quit? Uh, I mean, there's been days where I wonder why I'm still doing this. <laughs> uh, just as everything, I mean, it's very more stressful than it's ever been. Um, I don't think I've gotten to the point where I want to quit just yet, but there's been days where I really don't want to come into work um, just because of, I mean, the harassment that we sometimes get and just distrust uh, for, for no other reason. I really don't even like to talk about um, what I do for a living when I'm out like socializing just because of uh, some of the questions and accusations you kind of get. That was the voice of Tom Freitag, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. You can think about him metaphorically as part of the backbone of American elections. People who live in our own communities who do this work as civil servants just to do it well so elections can be believed and used for the purposes that they're meant to be used for. Gather the people's voices, render a verdict, and let governing continue. That's Tom Freitag, one of many who did all the right things in election 2020 but have borne all sorts of negative, scary, and regrettable consequences. I'm Major Garrett. That's it for this episode of The Takeout Outtake Especial. We'll see you around here next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home Yes, cool! or attending one live, you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.